welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Now, as Bobby said, we are in a series on faith, and I wanted to start off this morning, as I like to, with a story. And um, I'll tell you a story about this nun, Nanya. Someone said that to me the other day. I said, what are you talking about? They said, Nanya. And I was like, what's Nanya? Nanya business, yeah. It was my nine-year-old daughter who said that. But uh, let me tell you about this story about this nun. There was this nun who was, uh, she was in charge of the, the medical uh, situations in her, where do nuns live? Nun house? Convent? Let me be technical with my story. She was in, in charge of all the medical you know, issues in her convent and her nun house. And uh, so that, that was her kind of job. And she was out on the road one day. And as she was driving in her car, uh, she started to, to run out of fuel. And so she realizes, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm so close to the petrol station. She could see the petrol station. Nuns drive, yeah? Yeah, of course they do. She sees the petrol station and she's like, I'm so close, I, I'm going to get there, I'm going to get there, but the car conks out. She runs out of fuel. And so she's like, oh no, I've got to go get some fuel, how am I going to get it? So she's looking around her car to see if there's anything that she could kind of go to the petrol station and fill up to get some fuel. And so she finds a bedpan. She finds a bedpan in the back of her car. She's like, okay, I'm going to just fill this up, go to the petrol station, get enough fuel to put in my car so that I can then get my car started so that I can drive to the petrol station and fill it up. So she runs over to the, to the fuel station and she talks to the person inside and she says, I've got an emergency, I've got to fill this up and I'm going to take this over and, and go and uh, fill up my car. And they go, yeah, all right. So she's standing there, she goes and puts the fuel in the bedpan, in the, that, that toilet thing, and then she goes over back over to her car and she's at her car. She undoes the, the petrol thing and she starts to pour the fuel into the car. And at this point, a car stops at the traffic lights, two guys in it. One of them looks over and sees this nun pouring a bedpan into her car. He looks at his friend, he looks again and he says, now that is what I call faith. That is what I call faith. We're in chapter 11 of Hebrews, and in Hebrews we see this ongoing statement, that is what I call faith. The writer to the Hebrews is encouraging Christians, we've, we've kind of gone through this in the last couple of weeks, in their faith. They're, they're in a time where there's persecution, where there's difficulty, where there's tribulation, where they're being you know, kicked out of their homes. They're Just for their faith, just for believing in Jesus, they're being treated differently. They're being mistreated. They're, they're coming against all this opposition. And the writer to the Hebrews is writing them a letter to say, you've got to stand firm in your faith. I want to encourage you in your faith. In all this time, with all the darkness, with all the, the gloom around us, you've got to be strong in your faith. And so the writer is actually writing examples in chapter 11 of people that he's pointing to to say, look at this person and look at their journey and look at how they, by faith, did what God called them to do. Be encouraged by their stories. Look at the faith of Noah. Look at the faith of Abraham. Look at the faith of um, all of these different people that, that are listed in this, in this 
uh, chapter in Hebrews 11. Check out their faith and be encouraged by it. Because they lived by faith. It was by faith that they did the things that they did. It was by faith that they had the relationship with God that they did. And it was because of their faith that God counted them as righteous. It says there, he commends them for their faith. Not just because of what they did, but because of the heart with which they did it. Because of the faith that they had. They were commended. And the writer continues to point to these different people and say, look at this faith. Look at this example. What you're going through right now, draw encouragement from it. And then he gets into Hebrews 12 and says, here is the ultimate encouragement for your faith. Consider Jesus, the one who endured and suffered the cross. And yet for your sake, for our sake, he endured it. He went through it all. Consider him when you're going through difficulty. Consider him when you're, when you're in that midst of that trial. And the writer is continuously saying, this is faith. Come on, have faith. Believe in Christ. Believe in him. Be strong in your faith. Can I say to you this morning, church, have faith. Be strong in your faith. Have faith in God. Don't have faith in your faith. Don't have faith in yourself, but have faith in God. Faith is, is, is you know, defined by, by the, the writer to Hebrews in, in verse, 11, uh, verse 1 of chapter 11. He says, faith is the confidence that we hope for, that what we hope for with, will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Confidence and assurance. And he says, come on, have faith. Have faith. I know it's hard right now. I know that some of you are thinking, I'm so close to walking. I'm so close to giving up. But have faith. Be encouraged. Be strengthened. And in a time like now, I feel like it's really important for the church to have this message. Not to just have faith so that we can proclaim what we want to happen, but to have faith to be grounded and, and, and strengthened in God. Because there's a lot of stuff happening around us that's trying to knock us off. That's trying to push us to one side or the other. So to have faith. And then we get to this passage that we're up to this morning where we, we read something that kind of seems abstract almost to uh, some of the examples before, but I think gives a lot of depth to what the, the perspective that the examples that we read about previously had. We read about Abel and Enoch and uh, Noah and Abraham and Sarah and their faith. And then we're jumping into verse 13. And it might not seem like the most encouraging uh, verse to start off with, but this is where we are. Verse 13, it says, All these people died, still believing what God had promised them. All of the people that we read about before that were called heroes of faith, that obeyed God, that, that went where He said, that did what He called them to, that lived as He called them to live, all of them died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for a country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. What an interesting 
exclamation in the middle of this passage on faith. Examples of faith. Inspirational examples of faith. And then we come to this point where it says, but actually they all died. And they didn't really receive the promise that they were looking for. But they still had faith. And I think it's actually really important for us in this day and age, again, to get the, the, the depth of revelation that is in this. Because it can be easy to have faith when you see. But it can be difficult to have faith when you can't see. Or when you don't see. Or when it doesn't happen. Or when it doesn't happen the way that you thought it would happen. Or when it doesn't work out the way that you thought it might work out. Do you know it requires great faith to trust God when it doesn't look like the promise is coming to pass. When it doesn't look like the miracle is, is coming. It takes great faith to believe that He is who He says He is when everything doesn't look like He said it would look like. And so all of these examples that we read about, these heroes of faith, these mighty people of faith, they died without seeing the fullness, the completion, the perfection of the promise that was given to them. And yet they did not waver in their faith. And so we can understand then that their faith was not based on the outcomes, but was based on the one who gave them the promises. Their faith wasn't even based on the promises that they received, but was based on the promiser who gave the promises to them. The Word of God came, spoke to these people, gave promises or directions or words or inspiration to move from the country, to build a big boat, to do all of these things that would seem insane to some of us. And yet they stepped out in obedience trusting that even though they didn't have the full picture, they knew the God that was speaking. They could trust what he said. And yet they didn't see the full fullness of the promise. They didn't see the, the outworking of it all. And I believe that we can glean from them, from their examples. When it says there in verse 13, all these people died believing what God had promised. They did not receive what was promised. That's important. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and they welcomed it. They didn't necessarily receive the fullness of it, but they saw what God had said and from a distance they welcomed it into their lives. They welcomed it into the, to their generation, into the one to come. Here's something that, that I was thinking as, as um, you know, I was reading through this. God's promise is to you, but it's not just for you. The promise of God is to you, but it's not just for you. How could these people live with faith and not see the fulfillment or the, fulfill, the, the, the fullness of the promise and yet still hold on to the promiser? Because they believed that the promise, whilst it came to them, it wasn't just for them. Do you know that every word that God speaks to you, everything that he does in you, whilst it might be personal to you, it doesn't stay 
just in you. Everything that God does in you actually starts to affect others around you. There is not a work that God will do in your heart that is, that is not going to affect those around you. So when God calls Abraham to step out of his home country and to leave, do you know that doesn't just affect Abraham? That affects everyone that comes after Abraham. When you gave your life to Jesus, when you made that commitment to put him first, to, to give your life to him, do you know that that didn't just affect you? That affects the generations that come after you. When we understand that, that God's word, his promise is to us but not just for us, then we get greater perspective that we are not, uh, that, that even if we don't see the fullness of it, at some point he will fulfill his word. He always keeps his promises. We might not see it all, but at some point his promise is going to come. So when God blesses Abraham, when he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, not because he sneezed, but I'm going to bless you, do you know what he went on to say? Not just so that you're the most blessed person in the world, Abraham. Not just so that you got everything you need, Abraham. But he says, I'm going to bless you and you are going to be a blessing. Why? Because the promise is coming to you, but it's not just for you. He's going to affect you and then he's going to outwork that truth, that promise in your life and those around you. So Abraham didn't see the fulfillment of that promise, but it went from generation to generation to generation, and it affected everyone after him. His word came to them, but it's not just for you. When God says something to you, when he does something in your heart, you know what? He's preparing something to infect, to affect, to reach other people. He wants to do a work in you. Yes, he loves you personally. Yes, he wants to speak to you personally. Yes, he wants an individual and a personal relationship with you. But guess what? If you're part of the body, if you're part of the church, then you're not an individual anymore. This is why this sounds countercultural to us, because we kind of like the idea that God's promise is just for me. And it's just mine. It's kind of like God giving me this thing. Because we live in a society that says, you are the center of the universe. You are the most important person in the world. Our society kind of feeds that into us. But the kingdom of God says that we are only uh, defined in our connection with Christ and our connection one to another. That we are known and made known through our relationships. That we are not seeking just independence, which would be the kind of status of the world to say, you just got to be independent, grow, do your own thing, get on your own two feet, go out, build your own, your own kind of world, your own kind of empire. And independence is almost like the, the, the pinnacle of, uh, of human maturity. But the word says something different. God says something different. God's looking for not independence, but interdependence. You see, maturity is not my ability to stand on my own, to be the center. Maturity is actually found in interdependence, where I am dependent upon God, where I am interdependent with people, where I know who I am, you know who you are, I let myself be me, you let yourself be you, and we together do relationship. It's not about me being some sort of silo, some sort of independent being. 
but about us working together. Maturity is when we are connected. We grow in community. That's why coming together on a Sunday is important. Do you know what it does? It makes you realize that you're not the only one in the room. It makes you realize that you've got brothers and sisters in South Africa, in India, that there are other people that are part of your journey, that there are other people that are part of God's story. We live in the selfie generation. We live in a selfie culture. You know, what, you know what a good test is? Pull out your phone, open up your camera, and tell me which way the lens is pointing. You can test that. Which way is the lens pointing? We went to um, Bell's Rapids. I went with Michael Ho to Bell's Rapids a couple of weeks ago. And we're like standing on the bridge and the, and the water's flowing. And on the bridge, all you can see is people taking photos of the flowing water with their faces in front of it. We, we live in this kind of society that's like self-absorbed and, and it's all about me and it's all about, you know, my kind of thing. But the, the perspective that these heroes of faith had was that they were part of something bigger than themselves. That it wasn't just about Abraham, but his life was important to the generations to come. And I believe that's why they had this heart that could kind of carry the promises of God without seeing the fulfillment of them bigger than just about them. You know, God's doing something in you personally. Praise God. But he's going to do something through you as well. And the work he's doing in you is to, to, to affect those around you, to bring life and light to those around you. So how did they have this perspective? How did they have this, this attitude that welcomed and, and thought, God, bring your promise, even though I'm not going to see it all? Because they understand that, that whilst it, it came to them, it wasn't just for them. The promise wasn't just for them. Which brings me to another attitude, which is that, and this might test our thinking. We, we don't get to keep the promise. We just carry it. We don't get to keep the promise. We just carry it. When the promise came to Abraham or the promise came to Noah or the promise came to, to Enoch or, or whoever it was, whoever has gone before us, the promise came and God spoke to them or gave them a word or this is what's going to happen. This is where you're going to go. This is what I'm going to work in your life. And they then take that on and they hold on to it, yes, and it becomes personal to them, yes. But they, they understood that I'm only just going to carry this through life. I'm not here to cling to it and to hold on to it no matter what it was. We'll read, we'll read about this next week. We'll hear about this next week where Abraham is called to sacrifice his promise. And his willingness to let go, to release, to, to give back to God what God had given to him was tested. But he understood that the promise was not his to keep and to hold on to, but just to carry. Just to carry. Just to carry through life. Imagine if you were called into a job interview and uh, they sat you down and they said, look, like, this, is the, this is the terms of your job. You're going to do this, this, this. It's going to be 40 hours a week. Uh, you're going to get you know, a couple of different benefits for, for health care and all these different things. But 
uh, this is your salary. The salary is going to be like this figure. And you're like, yeah, awesome. And then they say to you, but we're not going to pay you. The salary is actually going to be paid three generations down. So you're going to do all the work, but you're not going to get the money. This is what took place, and it says that they all died without seeing the fullness. They walked in obedience, and yet they didn't necessarily get the salary. How would your heart be if God said that to you, or if, or if your, your employer said that to you? You're going to do the same amount of work, but you're not going to get any salary for it. But your kids, 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 kids are going to get some of it. How would that test your heart? How, how would, that, would you still work faithfully if you knew that you weren't necessarily going to get the salary? Would you still put in the hours if you knew that you weren't going to get the full payment of what you worked for? And these heroes, knowing that they weren't necessarily going to be able to keep all of the promise, still carried faithfully that which God had said to them, that which God had given them. Would that test your heart to say, I understand that what God has given me, what he's gifted me with, what, he, what he's put in my heart, I'm just going to carry it for a season. I'm just going to carry it for however long it may be, but then someone else is going to actually benefit from the promise that he's given to me. How would that test us? Would that make you think, you know, oh, well, I'm not going to have faith. I'm not, I'm not going to do as much as I would. I'm not going to work as hard as I would because I'm not actually going to receive anything from it. But what the writer is saying is that these people... They still had faith. They still were wholehearted in their obedience. They still walked with faith, even though they never saw the fulfillment of the promise. It's easy to do it when we, when we have immediate gain from it. But what if you don't see something for 20 years? What if you've got to hold that promise for 30 years? And then where's your heart? What happens if God says, hang on a second, that which I've promised you, that which I've put in your hands, that which I've put in your heart, you know what? We're going to leave that one now and I'm going to lead you somewhere else. When he says to Abraham, this is your, your place, this is your, your lot in life, and then he says, no, hang on a second, we're going to go over here now. What would you do with, how would your heart be if he said like that, 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 Business that you've grown, you know what? That was that season, but now we're going into something new. And so you're going to have to let that go to take hold of that which I have for you in this season. That becomes difficult. We see it in ministry where, where, where people are like, they kind of hold on to their ministry position, where they cling to it because it becomes a point of identity. And even though God is kind of saying, you're going in this direction now, we hold on to it. We cling to it. I want to keep it. I want to keep it. I want to keep the promise. But God, it was your promise. What about when the promise is painful to hold on to in the first place? What about when it's taken perseverance, where you've had to have faith to believe, and then God works what he said he was going to work, and then he's like, okay, 
Now we're going to go over in this direction. It worked the way that you thought that was going to work, but even though you believed and you prayed and you, you held firm, we're going in a different direction. Our attitude, our heart has to understand that, that the promise to us, it, it, it is not ours to just hold on to and to keep, but to carry for whatever season, for whatever length of time, for however long God says to. We've got to be open-handed to live open-handed, even with the things that God says to us. Relationships, things, everything. To know that, God, this is yours, and I am a steward in every way. I don't own any of it. I don't, like, I don't have claim to it. I can't even you know, hold him to account to it. I, I, I'm just holding it lightly, loosely, open-handed. God, what is it for this day? What is it for this season? To understand that they, even though they had the, the promise for their generation, it wasn't just there for them to hold on to. They had to be open-handed to release into the next, to not just keep it, but to carry it. God has called you to carry some stuff, to carry some promises, to carry some word, to, to perhaps be engaged in, in, in an occupation, to, to have a, a ministry calling, whatever it may be. He's called you to those things and at some point, he may ask you to release those things because he's got something else. He may take you in a different direction. Then your heart's going to be tested. Then your heart is going to be tested. But God, I was almost there. I've been believing for so long, and now we're kind of going in a different direction. Yeah. I know there's people in this room that have experienced that firsthand. You, you, you felt like this is it. God's got me where he's got me, and, and this is, I know I'm supposed to be here. And then it's kind of like the voice leads you in a different direction. And you're like, no, 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 no. We, we, we got this now. We're established now. It's all working now. I've got to sort it out. We've done the hard work. Now let's hold on to it. And he says, no, just release it because we're going in this direction. I don't want to scare you. I don't want to th you think, oh, man, don't talk to me, God. Because it, the, the journey is incredible. But just to be understanding that these heroes of faith, they understood that it wasn't just, they, did, they didn't just hold on to it like that. They were like, I'm going to carry this for however long I need to carry it, and then I'm going to pass it on to someone else. You may have a five-year plan, but God's got like a five-million-year plan. Our five years might be like sorted out. It's like kind of all like this, 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 and this. But God's plan has spanned humanity. And it's still being outworked today. His plan was from Adam and Eve. We read it in this book. It goes all the way through all of these different generations. All of these different generations. And now it comes to us today. And his plan is still being outworked. His plan is still being uh, manifest in this world. But what they understood was that they played their part in his plan. And that's all they had to do. That's all they had to do. Here is a question I have for us today as a community. What will we pass on to the next generation? What legacy of faith will we pass on to those who are still to come? What is it that we are going to give to the next generation? He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
He sees generationally. You know, he speaks to us today and he sees those that are still not in this room. And my question to us is, will we hold on to his promise? Will we carry his promise with faith and fervor for those who we do not even know yet? For those that we do not know the names of? For those that we've never seen the faces of? But that he is right now preparing to step into the legacy that we leave. What a privilege it is to carry the promise of God. What a, what a privilege it is to play a part in the story, the outworking of his narrative, of his story. What an absolute privilege it is. And let's think if, if, if the next generation was kind of right just over that other side of the hill, what are we going to pass on to them? What promise, what, what faith, what, what legacy will we give to the next generation? They understood this, but they also had this, this thinking as well, and it's real important in this passage. It says, uh, they saw it from a distance and they welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Anyone a nomad here? Three of us? Turn to the person next to you. <laughs> I didn't say that. Turn to the person next to you and say you're a nomad. That's a bit offensive. They were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They were foreigners and nomads. They understood that their position in this earth, on this earth, was temporary. And that they would be here, and then they would be gone from here. And so they lived with an attitude that they were passing through. Here is another thing that, that you know, our culture is kind of setting up for us, is the focus on the temporary. The focus on this life. To invest into, to hold on to. To just be so consumed with this little bit of life that we're given. You might have seen this before. This is the, this is the actual rope of eternity. It's not really, this is just an imitation one. I couldn't get the real one, I tried. but You see this little purple bit? might be a bit sad, but this is your life. The rest of this, this is eternity. Purple bit, it's probably even longer than this rope, just to be clear. Purple bit, the purple's a bit too big. 
That's our life. The rest of the rope, eternity. How, you think about this, how would it be if we spent all of our time, attention, focus, investing into this little purple bit, building, laying our foundations, time, energy, effort, thought, concern, and neglected the rest. If we just focus so much on that, that we neglected all of that, would that not make, that would sound crazy. It would sound a little bit insane. Reality check. So much of what we do is focused on this. It's focused on building this and, and, and making sure that this is good, making sure this is okay, making sure that this is comfortable, that it's nice, that it's pleasurable. And we forget that there's a lot of time coming, that there's a much bigger, much more important, much more perfect part of life that is to come. These heroes of faith, they were given as an example. They understood that they were just passing through the purple. They were just kind of here for a little bit. But there was something that they were looking forward to. There was a greater city that they were looking forward to. And so they weren't stuck in the here and the now. But they lived in the understanding of eternity. That I'm going to play my part. I'm going to do what I'm called to do. But there's so much more ahead. There is so much more awaiting me. Imagine if on the way home from here, can we turn the rain down just a little? Jesus, please. This got heavier. <laughs> Selfish prayer. Boom. Imagine if on the way home from here, you went to the shopping center. Let's say Ikea, which I know is probably out of the way to get home from here because you probably live like five minutes from here. But let's say you went on the way home from here, you went to Ikea. And in Ikea, you saw like a really, really nice, comfortable bed. And you thought, hey, that's a real nice bed. And you saw all of the food. I shouldn't have prayed that before because it's just it's like, Psh. you saw all of the food in, and all the meatballs and you thought, oh man, that's some delicious food, Swedish, good food. And then you saw all of the different things in Ikea and on the way home from here, you went to Ikea and you got consumed with Ikea to the point that you thought, you know what, I'm going to just stay the night. Bed looks comfy, I'm, you know, no one would know if I stayed the night. And you kind of set up your home in Ikea. You pulled the little desk drawers over. You made it look nice and cozy and comfy. You brought a couple of those little green plants that they have everywhere in Ikea. And you just made home there. And then it became so comfortable that you decided, you know what, I'm going to live here. I'm just going to live in Ikea. Do you know how crazy that sounds? 
And yet that is often the way we live. That we set up home in, in, in the, the shopping center which we're supposed to be passing through as we're on the, on the journey to our eternal destination with Jesus. Lockie shared, that was an awesome communion encouragement this morning, Lockie. You're a champion, man. And he shared about how the bridegroom goes away. And the bride is looking forward to the relationship that is to come, the place that is to come, the house that is to be, to be built. Do you know that our expectation is to be focused on eternity? That even the greatest things that we see in this world pale in significance to that which is to come. That even the most miraculous thing that you've ever seen in this world, it's like kind of nothing compared to what we will see. But if we live with the focus that this is it, that, that it's all about this, then we're going to miss out on so much. These heroes of faith, their faith was not anchored in the here and the now. They look forward to something that was to come, something that was eternal, something that was great. And they knew this truth, that every promise that God gives is to reveal the heart of the promiser. The promise, even though we receive in part, points to the perfection and reveals the heart and the nature of the promiser because he is the one that you get to keep. He is the one that you get relationship with for eternity. Now here's the paradox. Because we can think that this life, even though it's so fleeting and brief, that it becomes insignificant. But the truth is, this is very significant when we treat it with the right perspective. Because this, the choices we make here, affect this. And not just for ourselves, but affects for others. We heard a testimony last week from Bonnie as she was being baptized of how she now trusts Jesus. Do you know that that decision affects her eternity, but it's also going to have an effect on her children. And what she went through in her life, because of what the decision that she's made, there is an opportunity for that to be different in the lives of her children. But we've got to have the right perspective. They said that they were foreigners and nomads, that they understood that this is not home, that, this, that, that we're here for a moment, that we're here for a bit. So I want to challenge us today to have that perspective that this is, not the, the, this is not the whole thing, that this is just part, and that there is so much more that is to come. So much more that's to come. I'll finish with this uh, story. It's not about a nun. It's not funny, so please don't laugh. The story of, of a, a missionary couple that were 
over in Africa and they had been ministering in Africa. They'd been doing a lot of work over there for many years and they got to this point where uh, they were, it was time for them to come home. This is back in the day. So they were coming on a boat to get back from, from Africa to America. And uh, as they get on this boat, they, they notice that there's these huge crowds of people uh, watching the boat and, and media and all sorts of different people. And they realize that there was the president of the United States who was also taking the same boat from Africa to America. They'd been over there to do some hunting. Uh, as, as one of these presidents did in that day, would go over to uh, Africa and hunt and then come back. And w- what they said was that as they were boarding the, the boat, they saw all of these people and realized that the president was on the boat. And as they, they're traveling through, like there's fanfare, there's uh, people are just enamored with this, the, the fact that the president is traveling on the boat as well. And they get to uh, the end of the journey and they get back to America. And on the other side, where they land, there's just as many people. There's media, there's people who are excited that the president has come back. And this missionary had been, you know, kind of in a place of thinking, well, that's not really right. Like, we've been doing all this work for God. We've been over here working. We've we've given up our lives. We've sown. We've sacrificed. We've been selfless in everything that we've done. And uh, there's all of these people here to welcome back the president. And there's no one from our church. There's no one from our faith that that is here to welcome us back. And kind of got a little bit discouraged, got a bit disheartened. And uh, noticed all of this and said, why, you know, do they put so much emphasis on this person who has, you know, is a president? I guess that's a pretty good place to be. I don't know. I've never been a president. But uh, why do they put so much emphasis? And they're so excited, but there's no one here to greet us. There's no one here to, to, to you know, welcome us home. And his wife says to him, you know, you should really take that to the Lord because he's starting to get a bit frustrated, starting to be, get a bit angry about it. And so he goes and prays. And he prays and he's asking God, why, when we've been over there, we've given our lives, there's no one here to welcome us home. There's no one here to, you know, there's no parade. There's no, no one even notices that we've come back. Why? And then he comes out of the room and he says to his wife, he's like, God gave me the answer. And she said, what is it? And he said, God said to me, because you're not home yet. Because you haven't come home yet. If you're still on this earth, there is still something God wants to do in you and through you. This is not home. Our reward is not here. Our reward is in heaven. Our reward is with our Father. And I want to encourage and challenge us to live outside of this right now, right here perspective where it's all crammed into this little purple patch and to understand that there is so much more. There is so much more. Let your life impact eternity. And every person in this room has the ability the ability and the potential to live a life like this. I want to pray for us this morning. I want to pray that our faith is almost expanded. Our perspective is is enlarged. 
to perhaps what we came in with. Or maybe we, we, we've had this perspective before, but uh, to be re, re-crystallized in our minds that, that there is a much bigger perspective. And hopefully this helps in the moments. In the moments when it feels hard, or in the moments when you feel like giving up, in the moments when... You're like, what is going on here to have that perspective that there is something happening? That even if you don't see it right now, God will bring fulfillment to His Word. His Word never returns to Him void. He always, always, always fulfills it. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.